0: This week on the podcast, we take a look at Alistair Clarkson's coaching antics, debate who we think is the player of the decade and rank the week's worst losses, while Christian from Champion Data breaks down the definition of a contested possession.
1: You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special Monday recording of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast. We are shaking things up a little, and uh, to my left is Neil Seawang. Uh, how are you, Neil? I'm very well. Another fascinating weekend. Some shocking losses, wasn't there? There, It was a strange week of footy. It was just a strange week. Did you get any snow up in Ballarat? By we any actually chance? had
2: snow in our backyard um, two nights ago.
0: And how was that? Was that the first time you It was, cold. It was experienced? cold, man. Yeah, I bet it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's... a. Uh, Cold conditions all around the place. I went for a drive uh, during the week on Friday, I think it must have been, uh, just to see how it was up in the hills. And I had to turn back on one road because it was it was just snowing too heavily and the tyres weren't going to grip. So,
2: so, you, so the Giants weren't the only ones that didn't didn't uh, mix with the snow very well. The
0: snow. And my car is orange, so I mean, the <laughs> metaphors can keep on coming. Uh, Jake Michaels, how are you?
3: I'm good. You guys can carry on if you want. A <laughs> uh, bit of a nice chat on over there. Well,
0: it, uh, things in your life. How's the upfield line going?
3: Oh, it's going well. I didn't take it today, so um, it's always a good thing. Hey, on a scale of Essendon to 10, how was your weekend?
0: <laughs> uh, better than Essendon, that's for sure. No, it <laughs> wasn't a bad, a bad weekend. I was rugged up uh, inside most of the weekend, so I didn't have to brave the cold too often. So I'd, I'd rate it uh, probably about a, a 7 or 8 out of 10, which is pretty good, I thought.
3: Not
1: bad.
0: Hey, uh, Christian Jolly from Champion Data, welcome along to you. Thank you. And then catch your eye from the weekend of action?
1: Yeah, I've actually got a number for you. So uh, 440.8%. 140.8%. Okay. I feel
3: like Essendon's got to be involved in this. Can't, can't you only <laughs> give 100%? They
1: are. Uh, so that's that's the Bulldogs' club score versus Essendon's club score this weekend. So they played each other at three different levels across the weekend. Uh, the AFL score, Bulldogs won 137-33. The VFL, they won 129-35. to 35. And the VFLW, they won 47-3 to 3 to give them a total score of 313-71 to 71 for oh the weekend. God. <laughs> that sounds like that, that local footy team that gets belted
0: every week, yeah. <laughs> that, that sort of consolidated <laughs> score. That's unbelievable. Uh, fair to say the Bombers did have a shocker though, uh, and we will touch on them a bit later, but let's get stuck into our first segment.
1: It's time for 3 on 3.
0: Yes, the segment where we spend uh, a few minutes on three of the biggest topics uh, in footy each week. And we thought we'd kick it off with a, a bit of a different one this week because we are edging towards the last final series of the 2010s, Neil. Uh, and it got us sort of thinking about which players have really dominated the footy landscape and who we would judge as our player of the decade. Would you like to kick us
2: off with your nomination? My nomination is... It actually didn't take me too long to, to think and settle on this, this, uh, this person, Buddy Franklin. I think to be that good... In his position, there's so many good midfielders that come through the ranks, but to be a dominant key forward in this day and age, where it's really hard to kick bags, I think he's the absolute standout in uh, in this decade. Um, probably, if you made me think of one uh, one football act, if you like, that's really summed up the, the best parts of Australian football in the last decade, it would be um, buddy's Goals against Essendon, running down the wing with poor old Kale Hooker. Poor old Essendon. He got oh. up a pasty today. <laughs> um, but it just it just exemplified everything that I love about footy. Um, you know, he's people forget he's six foot six and he can run like that. And the actual skill to, to kick two goals from the boundary after running you know 70, 80, 100 meters is amazing. I mean, we could go on and on about his um, what he's achieved in terms of being a seven time All Australian in this decade, Premiership Australian captain, Premiership player, All Australian captain. And, and what stood out for me, again, was since the 2010 season, he's averaging 64 goals a year. And that includes this year where he's only been on the park seven or eight times. Well, they so. reckon 80 is the new 100. So if you sort of scale it that way, I mean,
0: he's averaging, he's doing extremely His well. He's head for and a,
2: shoulders in terms of a key forward across the competition this decade. I
0: think you raise a good point about Buddy being sort of the face of Aussie rules football over the last decade. I mean, you talked about those goals against poor old Kale Hooker. Um, <laughs> but there was another one where he's sort of streaking through the middle against the pies and, and leaps over someone and kicks it from 70 and it just sort of trickles through and the crowd goes nuts. Um, the goal... Uh, in the 2011 preliminary final against the Pies as well, where he's running the opposite way towards the boundary line, dribbles it through. Mm-hmm. They ultimately li- lose the game, but the just an iconic... I mean, it, it just goes... Okay. You can go on forever. I mean, even up in Sydney, he's kicked some some magnificent goals, you know, running down the boundary line against the Crows. So it's a, it's a pretty hard one to top. Mm-hmm. I
1: think that's what adds to the Buddy legend, is the way you can see how much he enjoys the game, how much he enjoys the, some of the things he does, some of his teammates do. I mean, some of the other names we're going to discuss and throw up, um, you know, don't want to give too much away, but... You think of players like Dangerfield and things like that. Probably not as charismatic as Lance Franklin, but it's that when I watch him, it's that enjoyment he's getting out of football, and in, in, the enjoyment he's getting out of watching. You know, Seen him. I remember when Ben Ronk kicked that seven, and you could almost see. I think I can't remember. See, I can't remember if he was in the stands or on the field, but I remember they cut to Buddy, and he was just had this massive smile of how good's this. Mm. Like he was enjoying it as much as uh, anyone else was.
0: Yeah, um, I'm going to raise another name for you, and it's he's been a bit out of sight, out of mind uh, for some part of his some part of this decade, purely because he's been on the Gold Coast. Uh, and I'm going to say Gary Ablett, and we've talked about him a fair bit this season, and it's a good point because he's back in Geelong, and Geelong are a successful team. But in terms of his last decade, he's averaging 21.4 goals a year, uh, and this is from having a couple of years up at the Suns where he only played you know 15, 14 games, 162 Brownlow votes uh, this decade. He's won a Brownlow medal. The 2014 season was an interesting one because the Suns won 6 of 7 at one point and were 9 and 6 and on track to make finals, their first finals appearance Mm. in the the club's history. He then hurt his shoulder and they fell away winning just one game for the rest of the year and they finished 12th. It just sort of highlighted how good and how important he was to that side. And even since he's come back to John, he's kicked 30 goals this year. Uh,
3: he, He has to be the player of the decade, doesn't he? I think people forget just how good he was because last year when he had a... Down year by his um, by his lofty standards, everyone was sort of having a go at him saying he's not as good as he once was, and it's like, yeah, but he still might be a top, he's still probably a top twenty player in a in maybe his worst season in thirteen years. <laughs> he is an incredible player, and just look what he's doing this year. I mean, there's not many players, well, this year or in the in the league's history that can get twenty possessions and kick two goals a game. It's it's an extraordinary uh, achievement.
0: He might go down as the greatest of all time. I mean. Well, his
2: dad might have something
3: to say might, about that. But he might be—he's in the conversation. <laughs> he's he in is. the conversation
2: to be one of the best of all time, but he's also might not be the best best player in his family, which is kind of—it's yeah. it's, a—it's a strange uh, juxtaposition that is. But he—he—he's got the, the natural skills. So obviously, what makes a champion is you've got to have the skills, but also the work ethic and the the mental determination and, and the want to improve. But in terms of the skills that he brings in terms of his kicks—he never misses a target going inside no. fifty. Mm. He can kick goals, you know, from from so many different angles.
3: He's just about the safest player to have the ball. You know, as a fan, if you've got if you see, if you see Gary Ablett with the ball, you just feel safe. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you he's do. not going to turn it over. Whether he's taking a shot, whether he's sending it inside fifty, he's he's just a ridiculously good player. And I, I mean, I can't speak. I I never watched his father play, but you know, watching watching Gary Jr. play. It's just it's hard to think that there could be players better than him. Well it thank is.
0: you for backing up my nomination, Jake. You've got now the job of making your own nomination.
3: <laughs> well Gary I mean it's it is hard to go against Gary. And I think I think you can probably say that he is the better player than my than the the person I'm going to throw. Pack up. it up,
0: let's go home then. <laughs> but
3: in terms of the decade, I think this guy might have him pipped. I'm going to go Paddy Dangerfield, his teammate. Look, you said that um, Gaz has 162 Brownlow votes and that's second. Dangerfield has 182. That's 20 more. That might not sound like much, but 20 is an incredible season to to poll 20 Brownlow. That votes. almost
0: wins it in some years over the last 20 years.
3: Yeah, or or gets you top 2. Um he's he what he's done has been ridiculously good, and I think I, I still say that he's the best player in the comp right now when he's playing in the midfield because he is a midfielder. He's not a forward. He's never going to be a forward. He can kick goals from the midfield, and he's just got that brute strength and will to 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 get his team the win. I think he's the best player at his best that I that I probably ever seen. Gary Ablett is very close with him as well.
2: The one thing missing, obviously, in Dangerfield's I guess CV is is the premiership. He may well have one in six weeks' time. But I think the fact that, that Buddy's, Buddy's won a couple, he's won one this decade, um, Gaz, Gaz has won one as well this decade, um, the fact that Dangerfield hasn't hasn't got that team success yet, I wonder if that counts against him.
3: Yeah, but I mean, we're talking about the player, not the team, so mm-hmm. we can't really take that into consideration. He's done everything he can do. I mean, if you're winning Brownlow medals and, and um, club best and fairest, all Australian every year, I mean... You're doing your job. You got you, we talk about Geelong's bottom five last year, Plenty, didn't we, Matt? We did. I mean, so yeah, if if he gets the support around him I'm sure he's gonna deliver on the big stage.
2: The other the other thing that Buddy and um and Dangerfield bring is that sort of charisma, that on field and off field charisma. Um, probably hurts your argument a little bit, Matt. In terms of everyone loves Gaz, the highlight reels. Uh, the yeah. highlight reel is wonderful, but he's probably not that engaging with the media, and, he's and not, never was on the Gold Coast. Island, no, which exactly. was probably to the
0: detriment of that club up there as well. Yeah, that's another so discussion. Whether or
2: not we count the, you know, we're just looking purely on field, or we look at those uh, intangibles like the way you know that possibly might sell memberships or generate you know media headlines. I think uh, Dangerfield and, and, and Buddy are a little bit, you know, they're right at the top end of that as well.
0: You've got a, a few big names to beat, Christian. Uh, who are you nominating yeah, as your probably, player? Yeah, probably
2: tough to beat, but I'll throw it one
1: again because we're talking about the whole decade. So I want to look at consistency and someone that's done it from, you know, 2010 all the way through to this year. Um, so, five BNFs in that five in this time, five All Australians, uh, number one for total champion data ranking points in mm. that time, too. This player is so I, I don't always go to stats, but it was great that that backed me up. Yes, you do. Uh, <laughs> number one for disposal in that time as well, fourth for contested possessions, fourth for tackles. Scott Pendlebury at Collingwood, um, and the flag Egg, in 2010. Yeah, yeah, he's got the flag to his name. He hasn't got the Brownlow, which um, you know, Gary Ablett and uh, Dangerfield do, and he doesn't have the Colemans that uh, Franklin does. But... Two things that I'll sort of put up for his case. He hasn't had a year of free agency or trade talk. So again, the legend of Dangerfield, Ablett and Franklin's helped by the year of their worth, you know, being in the papers every day, a back page. This guy's going to get a million dollars. Where's he going to go? Where's he going to go? Pendlebury just quietly re-signed with Collingwood all through his career. Uh, Captain that club, as I said, for, you know, almost half the decade that we are talking about. Um, And yeah, I just think for total consistency, I think his name gets left off a lot of conversation. So I don't know if he is clearly better than Dangerfield or Ablett, but I just feel like he needs to be mentioned more when talking about this whole decade as
0: entirety. Uh, What you've listed there, it's a pretty compelling case. And as you say, when you think of AFL's Mr. Consistent, there's one name that sort of jumps out at you right away.
3: Yeah, I s sp- look, I spoke just this is related, but I spoke to Connor Rosie last week about um Robbie Gray and he said he's always left off these lists, uh, in terms of best players in the comp and Scott Penelbury's the same. I mean he's he he's probably the best player. I mean, I know I know Key forwards don't win Brownlows, but he's probably the best player in the comp right now that hasn't won yeah. one. Yep. Um and I think, yeah, it's crazy that he's cap- as you say, he's captain the biggest club in the country for Five, six, yeah, seven I years a long time. Long yeah. Here, quite a while, and it's just like, um, and you, you, no one ever talks about him. It's, it's, yeah, it's bizarre.
2: Um, any any names from our quartet, um, that missed out that could have been worthy nominations?
3: Well, another name I wanted to throw up, but I know he's probably not the best player, but he, but in terms of what he's achieved, is remarkable. Is Luke Hodge? I mean, he he led that three-peat He's won a Norm Smith medal, he's had all Australian Guernseys, he's uh, won Club Best and Fairest. And now you look at what he's gone to Brisbane and, and what he's doing there. I mean, if he if, if Brisbane was to win the flag this year and he had five, and who knows, maybe the, maybe he gets the Norm Smith again. <laughs> where does he case. sit in yeah, history? Yeah, he's
2: gotta be right up yep. there, doesn't he? Maybe we need to revisit. You're this right, not in not, in not the flashiest and or almost, you know. <laughs> he's not the most skilled worthy. he's not the fastest. Yep. He's
3: not the strongest, but he's the Probably the smartest player that's played in the last 10 years.
0: It is a fascinating discussion. You know what? We might put a a poll out on Twitter and and see what the punters think because uh, I think you could go a lot of different ways with this discussion, that's for sure. Hey, we sort of uh, touched on it off the top about uh, the snow that was seen over the weekend. It wasn't just up in Ballarat, Neil. Uh, There was also some snow in Canberra on Friday night. Um, I'll get your opinion on the the scheduling in a a moment as well. But Alistair Clarkson, famous for sort of his policy of no long sleeves uh, that his players can wear... He goes up there to Canberra and obviously isn't going to back down from his his own sort of um, you know intestinal fortitude of wanting his players to be this and that, but uh, decides to strip down to the shorts when it's about two degrees outside, go for a run around the oval just to show to his charges that it can be done. Uh, what do we make of Clarko's bizarre sort of winter <laughs> antics?
3: Well, it, well, it is antics. I mean. Look, they won the game. So, everyone's, of course, is going to turn around. And this is what people do with Hawthorne. This is why what gets me really frustrated about the Hawks. Is that no matter how they play, who they beat, it's always the story with Hawthorne when they win is how great Alistair Clarkson is a coach. It's nothing to do You've with got a the massive B in the Oak I the do. Club, I because <laughs> it's the only coach. Nate Watson, Who's another coach that people say this about? Adam Simpson's done a brilliant job in the last two or three years with West Coast. Damian Hardwick has done a great job at the Tigers. No one ever, ever says... The, either of them are a genius, or they coached well.
2: Maybe it's a, there's a reason for that. Maybe the, the but they, footy win and, that. they win more games. They win more games than than Clarkson. Well, in the last couple of years, yes, yeah. So it's
3: yeah. Like, I don't understand why why he only gets the credit. But no one ever says anything negative about him when they lose. And he's, they've he's lost got a few credits
2: in the bank. I reckon that's
3: fine. Yeah. But it's like, why is he the only one? Name one. Name but one. Because other coach. maybe maybe it's because he is that good. But they. But why <laughs> when why when they lose, do they not say anything? But because
2: that's what happens with coaches. <laughs> What I feel like mean? a boxing referee. I've got to separate <laughs> the, the
3: both of you uh, just
0: briefly, and then you can re go. Doesn't at it again. make
3: sense. Look, this is. But then going back to what you're what you're saying about the taking his shirt off. This has got nothing to do with him. This could be any coach. I personally don't like it. I think you should give the your players a choice. If you want to wear long sleeves, what's so bad about wearing long sleeves? Is it really that big a deal?
0: It, should, it shouldn't be dictated to the players. No, it's got nothing not to do with can, Clarkson. Yeah, but that's his. That's his prerogative. If, if he wants to go out and risk hypothermia, I mean, that's no joke. Um, <laughs> oh do. No, should we cut that out? <laughs> <laughs> I loved it for what Thank it's you. worth. I, I well, think you're a father, so you would. Uh, I, I, you well, been well
2: I wasn't that. talking about your joke. I was, I was talking about loving what Clarko did. That was a good dad <laughs> joke. You're just um, preparing for for later in life. Aren't yeah, it? maybe. Um, but
0: uh, why? What well, I think this point? might be
2: a bit of an old school versus new school thing, and and um, I think so. Everyone talks about um, sport. Often being played above the shoulders, right? If you if you can get your mentality switched on, you're going to be you know so much more better um, for the contest than than what you might not be. And who's who's not to know whether this this antic of saying no, we're not going to worry about the temperatures, no, we're not going to we're not going to be too concerned about playing in the snow. If that gives Hawthorne a two percent edge, then that's that's job done, I reckon. So and it reminds me of a story of Jonathan Brown and the Lions maybe ten years ago playing down in Launceston. The Lions, obviously, not used to the cold. It was absolutely Baltic conditions down in Lonnie. And famously, John Brown said, I'm going to find anyone that mentions the word cold or weather during this whole road trip. And the Lions produced an absolutely remarkable upset wind down in Tassie. And that's, that might be a 1% mindset difference. And, and I, I love it. I love the idea of thinking outside the box and trying to find a way to get your charges up.
1: Yeah, so that's why I've sort of got a foot in each camp here. I'm, I'm with Neil in terms of, Doing something different pre-match. I mean, he's been in, in charge of those guys for 14, 13 years now. you you got to come up with different Keep things. That was, you know, how many how many things does he... <laughs> trying to try to do it again. Is it, you know, how many things has he done in the rooms that we haven't seen? So this one was out and about. It got caught by the cameras. He might be doing something quirky. He knew the f- cameras were there. But he might be doing something quirky every three or four weeks. It's just usually yeah, in the rooms or pre-match. You just yep. don't see it. So this one... But again, I go back to the jumpers one, and I'm with Neil. Anything that can get that extra 1% or 2%, you know, extra performance out of you, it's good. But I would have thought, no no study in this, but wearing long sleeves in wet, surely that helps your performance. It just helps you grip the ball a little bit easier if you're taking a chest mark. Surely it helps you tackle blokes. They can't break through your slippery arm. So during the pre-match, when I first heard about his no-jumper rule, I thought, that's ridiculous. That's just, you know that's just old school and just being silly but (laughs) sort of seeing what he did on the night you're like all right, it all sort of ties together and it's just that that whole sort of having that theme of yeah you know weather can't defeat us but the thing is
3: they can go out next week and play in the wet and they do the same thing and they don't wear um, the long sleeves and they lose and and it's like oh well it didn't work they just Mm. played a Giants team that were horrifically bad no one's talking about the Giants
2: I must admit well, you're, you're very right. It's such a win loss industry that if he does that and they lose, then people, will, you know, yeah. be clambering for him. You know, but no one, stupid.
3: no one would say, "Oh, he shouldn't have." He should have let the players wear. They would have just said, "Oh, the Giants played well." It's Probably. never <laughs> a negative story about Hawthorne. But the point is, the Giants were were really, really poor.
0: Yeah, they absolutely were. Um one thing to keep an eye on with Clarko this week is if he does develop any sniffles. Uh because <laughs> honestly, I mean, running around like that in
2: those sort of conditions. I was sitting, I cold. was at
3: the MCG yesterday for for Carlton Richmond and I've come in today with a cold. I don't know how half he and <laughs> half the the Hawks were. I am uh,
2: sure he would have the the club, you know, nutritionists and sports scientists would have ticked it off. He, there's no way that if it was going to put anyone at risk that they that they would have been allowed he to do that. do that. No. <laughs> um, um, but one thing one last thing I would say. I love the erratic and the eccentric streak of, of certain coaches, going back to to Malcolm Blight and, and Kevin Sheedy and Mark no, Williams it wasn't Ripper wasn't he? Absolutely. So I that I really that's why I kind of enjoy these sort of elements of, of coaching. I think. <laughs> I what
0: think was, it was the, what mark. was the famous thing he did one day where he's, he made his team line up in in front of the other team's huddle or yeah, something so it
2: like? Was a, it was a final, um, and they were playing Adelaide
1: in the finals. Who's and it, he got, it, which coach? So Malcolm talking? Blight when yep. he was in charge of Geelong, and he got the Geelong players to go and stand alongside their banner and basically eye- eyeball the opposition. Well, I, I always remember it as being that, but I read it. I read the story when we were, I knew we were going to talk about this on the pod and he basically, his instruction were to eyeball the opposition and make sure that, you know, we're, we're, we're on you from the start. But the problem was Adelaide had heard through, because back in those days they had, they shared um, oh, they heard between through the, the dressing room and they could just hear him talking about it. So they were I'm expecting it and sort I'm of that. Nigel Smart sort of made a beeline for some of the players. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Geelong were, yeah, I think they conceded the first seven goals of the game. So, again, didn't work for him didn't that day. Maybe. What about the Crows recently? I was when they say they were doing Don Pike, the, the Don Pike must have yeah.
0: uh, had a chat to Malcolm about how he can get his players offside. Hey, quickly, before we do move on, uh, we are running a bit
2: long on this segment. Does Ruffy get a farewell game next week, speaking of Clarko's antics? Yeah, uh, Clarko came out and said no, but I think he'll relent. I think I think he should get a... Uh, he's such a champion of the club, and I think you know the emotional uplift for the players in the club, yes.
3: Jake? I don't think anyone should get one just for the sake of it, but I think it will happen because it seems like, you know, Ben Stratton and all the, the playing group want him to play. And that's, you know, if, if you've got all the players going to the coach saying this guy needs to play, then it's pretty hard for him to say no, I think. I hope so. One of the greatest blokes in footy.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. And it's so overblown what um, people are like, oh, you know, but, you know, they still need to win to make finals. It's like, is he going to be. He's not that bad. He's not that bad. <laughs> if him playing is not going to be like, all a six goal turnaround yeah. the other way. Mm. So I'm not quite sure uh, what everyone's on about. So give. Uh, give him a farewell. There's, there's, park, there's
3: far worse players playing every week than Jared Ruffhead right now.
0: That's true. Um, speaking of the worst things we saw on the weekend, Jake, so that's a really bad segue, but we'll run with it. There are a few horror losses on the weekend. Uh, the Giants on Friday night, as we sort of talked about, uh, North down and Geelong, kicking just one goal, and, of course, Essendon on Saturday night. Jake, which one was the most disappointing?
3: I think it's pretty clearly the Bombers. I mean, you, you look at the other two, so... Christian says this a lot about playing in Geelong. It's really it's it's almost like a game. You can't read too much into because they play so well there, and, Burn the and teams. teams and teams really struggle there. So so let's let's leave North out, even even though they do deserve a lot a whack for it. And the Giants game again, we just spoke about it. Played it in the snow. I mean that was just bizarre conditions. But then you look at the Essendon game, played under the roof at Marvel Stadium Saturday night. You know need to win that home game. Home crowd, home crowd need to win that game to to um you know keep their spot in the top eight and and. And push for trying to lock in a final spot, and from twenty-one seconds in, it was just a horror show. Mm. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before.
2: I've, I've seen losses like that, but it might have been Gold but, Coast but in their from first a top season. Eight side. Yeah, it was like a really inept club. Like mm. I, I remember they looked like training drills against the Giants and the and the yeah. when they had seventeen-year-olds playing. for So the Richmond,
3: Gold Coast, early in the year when Richmond put hundred on him in the first half. I mean that was. That was a beatdown, but that was Gold Coast, as you say. That wasn't like a side that is... Fighting for yeah. finishing fifth or sixth it was, on
2: the ladder. I, I, it, it was unbelievable the lack of intensity. I really uh, found it quite
0: funny, sort of watching the watching it back again. When you did, um, qu-
3: you did find it funny, didn't you? You enjoyed it. Be honest. Yeah, early, the old uh, in.
0: <laughs> Early in the um, early in the broadcast, uh, one of the, the special comments commentators, uh, the, the Bombers had just kicked that goal twenty-one <laughs> yeah, seconds in, and, say, yeah. and um, you know it was sort of a hotly contested ball for about three or four minutes, and, and the commentator said, "Geez, both teams are on here." Should <laughs> be a <big> good game. <laughs> Hindsight's wonderful, but. You're right. Like, from, from 21 seconds in until the last four minutes, so basically an entire game, they were listless.
3: Yeah, I, I no, and it was so funny when I think McDonald-Tippenwoody broke the deadlock after almost three and three-quarters. <laughs> the Dogs fans were cheering. And they were cheering. I mean, when do you see that? Yeah, it was... Mm. It was the, the ultimate Bronx just... kind of... It was just... It was so weird, and they were. They were listless. They were pathetic.
2: And, the, the, yes, they were depleted, but... You can have, clubs can have amazing, you know, really club-defining wins when they've got a few people out. Like, look at what Richmond have done this year when they had most of their best team out, and they had some stirring wins. So, it, there's no excuses for us. It was, it? It
1: was one of those games where it was like, it got to quarter time, and you just thought, good. The quarter time's come right. Now, they'll they'll fix themselves up and get back on track. Didn't happen in the second quarter. Halftime came, you thought, okay, it, it can't be like this in the next half, surely... Even if Essendon don't score, surely they'll just shut the game how down and Bulldogs won't goals, score. Was it? 21, 21 in a row. In
3: how, how often... I mean, you, I haven't asked you this. Frio, you know a few years happens? back,
1: did
0: it 23 uh, against them by the Cats down at the Cattery, speaking of burning the tapes.
1: Yeah, but yeah. It's just been... I mean, 23 23 it would have been four or five times in the last 20 years, I reckon, you kick 20 goals in a row. I feel like when game, you, if like. you
3: kick five in a row in, in this day and age, it's like, yeah. wow, they're, they're they're smashing them right now. <laughs>
1: but just quickly on this topic, I'll I'll, I'll go back to GWS and say... Yes, Essendon was worse, but I don't think we can gloss over how bad GWS was. I know it snowed and that, but they're, they're looking to play finals. They've been top four. They keep falling mm. over at prelims. They need to go out in the snow and win. Mm. They need to win in all conditions, at all venues. Canberra's supposed to be a home ground for them. Yeah. So yeah. the conditions uh, are... They weren't... Yeah. Play, I mean, I know Hawthorne are still being linked to could they make finals, but at least Bulldogs and Essendon. Bulldogs are genuinely a chance to make finals and still play for something. GWS got beaten by a team who two days before that game had been played, were being written off by everyone as being too old and they needed to retire half their list and they were no good anymore.
3: They weren't GW, just beaten,
1: they were smashed. GWS did not turn up on the night. They, no. they never looked like
2: it. I'll tell you one club that it probably highlights how irre- irrelevant they are. The fact that the Suns copped, was it a 95-point mauling in the Q Clash? You know, possibly their, their biggest rival of, of each of the whole competition... And the fact that we're not even really discussing that in the worst losses of the weekend, that says a lot about them. I think that
3: kind of just sums up where, where they're at right yeah. now. I mean, mm. we, we said, I think last week, I, in, our, in our certainties, I said Brisbane, and you guys were just like, well, that's the obvious. I mean, it's too <laughs> obvious in a way. Yeah.
0: It almost is. Hey, uh, we should move on.
3: How about
0: Stat? With Champion Data. That's some really good feedback the last time we did a more of a definition sort of segment in this uh, How About stat segment. It was it was on pressure and sort of defining pressure and what constitutes pressure and pressure points and all this sort of stuff. Um, so we thought we'd do another one. And this one's often used by sort of clubs, media, fans and players. Contested possessions, hardball gets, these sorts of things. But... Do we know exactly what a contested possession is or what uh, a contested mark is? Can you help us out,
1: Christian? Yep, so contested possessions, you're right. So they're made up of a few different stats. So you've got ground ball gets. So they're the hard ball get and a loose ball get. Um, A contested mark, a gather from hit out. So, you know, Sandy Lance hits it down the throat of his rover. He's usually at a stoppage. That'll be a contested possession for the team. Uh, Contested knock-ons and probably 95% of free kicks. So any free kick in play will be a contested possession. Um, you know if a guy's belted 50 meters off the ball and things like that that won't get counted as a contested possession so basically a contested possession is you know your sum of all those five or six different categories um so yeah there's sort of different ways to win a contested possession so but if you pick up a loose
0: ball for instance but there's someone hot on hot on your heels is that considered a contested possession
1: correct so again probably the easiest way to find a contested possession is the ball's been up for grab so it hasn't been passed to you so if i handball to you and you've got three blokes hanging off you and you you receive the handball and handball it it looks contested but it's an uncontested possession because it's basically one team moving the ball between each other so a contested so, possession only happens when both teams have a chance to win that ball so the ball's obviously in the air overhead both both teams can jump up and mark it the ball's at ground level both teams are running onto it could win it but if yeah if if basically we think it's been an effective pass to you you won't get it you know a, a so it's not not really uh
0: the possession that you're giving off is contested by someone else. It's more of if if the ball is in... Yeah,
1: in the, the, the situation that the ball was in, is it now out into a 50-50 ball that anyone can win? So again, that's why probably the one of the missed, um, misunderstood parties hard ball get and loose ball get. So everyone sees a hard ball get as being a contested possession. We've had we've had guys work with us for six months, eight months, and they sort of still ask me, so is a loose ball get an uncontested possession, is it? It's like, well, no, it's a contested possession that's just one in a bit more space. So a hard ball gets one at the stoppages, at the coalface, face blokes hanging off you. best example of a loose ball get balls kicked long to a pack inside 50 the pack flies up spills to the back Tom Papley picks it up kicks a goal so anyone could have been there he was in the right spot that's, so that's, that's a, a contested possession correct because sydney have you know as it everything goes back to team level first and then to player level so as a team level you want to win more you want to win more
2: of those situations than your opposition oh, so see that's that's, p- that's cool. that so papley was in that regard he was smart to stay down and, Correct. and his opponent wherever he was got sucked into the yep. pack so that the considered. ball was never meant for him so it wasn't passed to him it wasn't you know it wasn't a beautiful kick over the top to
1: Papley it was a kick to the pack that mm-hmm. just got red
3: I think most people would see that as an uncontested mm. possession I would yeah, I, that's
2: I what I would have I thought for sure because yeah. he got it in space by himself So it's it, it's
1: that whole contested versus you know he's he's Contested is usually wrapped up with it has to be tough and it has to be congested and there's yeah. a lot of people around. Contested just means any team could have been there but your team was there. So again, this is probably the number one rule of champion data. It's team level for everything is, is, is for the team. So did a team do this? Did a team do that? And then we attach player names. So who had that kick and who had that mark? Hmm. So a contested about, possession is very much yet. Yeah, both so what about teams. marks then?
0: So what constitutes a contested so mark? So a contested
1: mark is basically when you take a mark with, your, with an opponent, a chance to spoil at that point of mark or you've done your work early so a push off while the ball's in the air and you, you knock the bloke to ground and take the mark you're standing all on your own that's still be a contested mark because you've won the contest maybe two seconds before the ball arrived and uh, a mark
2: on the lead as well if you do your early no work so that's no
1: yeah so that's basically so we've got uncontested marks marks on lead are sort of your second level and contested mark right. your third level so again probably the gray area we have to make that call of on a lead mark if you're one or two steps in front when you take the mark that'll be a lead mark the defender's right with you, and still got some physical pressure on you. That goes down as a contested mark. Jeez, it
2: must be hard to when <laughs> when you're working for Champion Data and trying to you know do these split second yeah you know, contested yeah, marks. So frame by frame helps yeah. a
1: lot, and it is it's it's good to have as I mean, football is one of the greyest games in the world, but it's good to have black and white definitions of, and it it is it comes down to if it's line ball, it's contested because uncontested should be so much in space. If you think mm. that a bloke was close enough to spoil, then then he would, you know, sort mm-hmm. of... If you, yeah, if you're sort of uh, tossing up between the two, we'll lean towards more contested uh, in a situation. See, that, that so That sounds
0: like more of a definition I would have expected for uh, contested possession. Yes, like, you know, too.
1: the Someone's right on your hammer, yeah. uh,
0: you take the mark, contested mark, same thing for a possession, but obviously it's, it's quite different. So mm. I'm, I'm glad yeah. we cleared that up because I did not know that. Yeah. Do we have any uh, surprise leaders in any of these sort of categories yeah, so that we might want to look the at? The first
1: thing I mean, the first thing, the number one rule looking at contested possessions is you don't look at the total. So no, again, when you're looking at teams and trying to win a game of football... Your KPI wouldn't be to win a certain amount of contested possessions. It would just be to win more than the opposition. So whether you win 400 or 200, it doesn't matter because that's just is the game You know, producing a lot of contested situations. Games can be different, right? Correct, yeah. but you just want to win more than the opposition. So everything we do at team level, we look at uh, differential. Um, so looking at contested possessions, we also break it up into pre-clearance and post-clearance. And again, a lot of that's different. So it's what we talk about, stoppage versus general play. Um, and just looking at, if you win the contested possessions at the stoppages, so what we call pre-clearance, you win the game 53% of the time. So that's the one that commentators say, you know, they've got to get in, get the ball first, win it at the stoppages. But if you actually win contested possessions in general play, so the, you know, the loose ball gets and you know actually sort of finding intercept possessions and things uh, outside of the stoppages, you win the game 73% of the time. So that's where you should be, should be concentrating your efforts is, yeah, we want to sort of get clearances and get the ball moving our way out of the stoppages. But it's all those other contests on on the spread, as everyone else sort of calls it, that you want to continually win.
3: We wrote last week about Brisbane and why they can go all the way and win the flag this year, and that's the area that you were you were telling us yeah. last week is they've they've just grown enormously.
1: Yeah, I think they were in the negative for 15 straight years, that are finally in the positive this year, up to second best. Mm. So a
2: massive turnaround. So and that seems to be an area I reckon in the in maybe in the last two years it's become a bit more apparent the the differential between um, or the I guess. the breaking down contested possessions from pre, uh, to pre-clearance and post-clearance as well. So it's obvious that you know, if there's a 73% win rate if you if you win those post-clearance uh, contested possessions, that's obviously something that's really important in modern footy.
1: Yeah, correct. And, and a lot of the clubs are sort of breaking the game down into stoppage versus general play and sort of, yeah, using your KPIs in that way. So looking at pre-clearance differential for teams, uh, the top five at GWS are plus 132. So they're going all right. Melbourne, plus 121, struggling this year. Port, 119, sort of up and down. Bulldogs plus 78 and Collingwood plus 50. So that's pre-clearance. Post-clearance, I sort of think, stacks up a little bit more with the ladder. So Geelong at 188 for post-clearance contested possessions. Uh, Brisbane, who are second on the ladder to them, are second in post-clearance contested possessions. 121 more than the opposition. Collingwood a third at plus 113 and GWS at plus 93. So you can sort of see the top four in that stat have probably been, you know, have all been in and out of the top four all year long. Um... So it's just interesting in sort of saying, yeah, pre-clearance, yeah, Melbourne are doing really, really well on that, but it's probably on the spread that they're not, you know, they're not even Absolutely. in the top five for, so that's what's hurting them this year. Looking at players-wise, um, so pre-clearance contested possessions leaders, Patrick Cripps is number one in the comp, 211, Clayton Oliver and Ben Cunnington equal second at 210. I don't
0: think any of those surprise. Yeah, Lockie
1: Neal, fourth, 204, and Nat Fife at 182. So they're the top five guys for winning the ball at the stoppages contested possession. And just looking at post clearance uh, contested possessions leader, so Nat Fife's number one in that uh, with 133. Josh Dunkley's second at the Bulldogs, 132. And we're sort of speaking pre pod, the last 10 weeks of his. His Mm -hmm. season has been phenomenal, but he's sort of been up for contested possessions all year.
3: Buy your stocks in him now. Yeah, (laughs) Jeremy
1: McGovern's third for post-clearance contested possessions, so 131. So he's very different to those names of, you know, Mm. Cripps, the Oliver, Neil, Cunnington, your stoppage players where you you do win a lot of contested possessions. But he's actually, at 131 around the ground, he's actually third in the competition. So he's won 131 post-clearance contested possessions. That's all his contested marks, his chop-off marks, you know, loose ball gets in the back line. He's won three. At a stoppage, so he ranks. <laughs> I think that's yeah. He's ranked third for post clearance contested possessions and equal four hundred eighty seventh for contested right, possessions. So again, <laughs> if you looked at Jeremy McGovern, you ask someone off the street, "Is Jeremy McGovern a good contested possession player?" They'd be like, "Well, no, he doesn't play at stoppages, but he's actually the third best once the ball gets into general play." Place of his strength. he knows where. You. It, yeah, mm. yeah, he knows where it's going and how to win it. That's a great stat. Um, So... Get him in at the (laughs) centre-bounce. Fourth for post-clearance contested possessions is a little bit of a surprise to me as well. A guy that sort of um, doesn't get enough credit is Christian Petrarca at 130 post-clearance contested possessions. So again, um, you know, number two draft picks probably always seem to be a bit of a disappointment and a bit of a letdown. I think he hasn't got enough credit for how good he's He's been He's had a
2: very good year. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's one of the few demons that can probably hold their head up. So just...
1: Just looking at those two lists, Nat Five comes out with massive highlights for me. So he, as we said, was fourth, uh sorry, fifth for pre clearance contested possessions and number one for post clearance contested possessions. I think he was the only bloke to rank in the top fifty for both of you know yes, those. So he's the one Dynamic. that can actually Does win play. it at the stoppages but get it on the spread as yeah. well, which yeah, not many of them he's do. He's not
2: a bad player, young
0: Fife. <laughs> Wouldn't mind him on your team, would you? Yeah, a lot of a lot of upside.
1: So just looking at some of the more, you know, more leaders of the year. So overall contested possessions. So the one we're talking about, the, the whole stat. So Fife's leading that with 17.5 per game this year. Cripps is second at 16.9. Clayton Oliver third, Cunnington fourth, and Neil fifth. So again, not too many different names there. They're all mm-hmm. mainly your stoppage players. Um, looking at your contested marks leader. Uh, So go on averages per game. So the most contested marks you've seen in a game was ten, taken by Wayne Carey in round six, two thousand.
3: Young Aaron Norton. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) he did take a Uh, bunch of contested marks in
1: that breakout game, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, he got close to that record. Um, So this year the leader has been, you know, Matt Taberner. In in the few games he played, took two point seven per year. Short at two point seven per game. Sean McKernan two point (laughs) four, equal second with Aaron Norton, who you just mentioned at two point four, and Jeremy McGovern, who we just spoke about, two point two. So you can sort of see contested marks, we sort of know it's one of the dying arts of the game, a lot more short kicking and a lot more sort of uncontested marks. I don't, again, Norton got close to that number early in the year, but I think that 10 would almost be an unreachable mm. figure in the way uh, football's played these days. So just looking at contester marks. So what we also, um, we also keep track of is one-on-one contests. So a contester mark can be taken in a pack of players, or it can be taken where you sort of float in from the side. A one-on-one contest is basically both players start at the same point and it's, you know, a, a wrestling for that overhead ball to try to take that mark. So sort of looking at the um, the best and worst teams in terms of, of uh, one-on-one contest, we look at it in both ways. So you have the offensive contest, so that's the team kicking the ball. That's can- So whoever kicks the ball to a one-on-one, that's Canada's an offensive contest. So you want to win those. Mm-hmm. So the best team at winning those has been, uh, I think it was Sydney at, 31.5%, Carlton at 31%, but those two teams kick to one-on-ones, the fewest of anyone. So they, they win a lot, but they don't generate a lot of one-on-ones. I think mm-hmm. they're always sort of yeah. kicking forward for distance. So Richmond's the big one for me. They're at 29.7% win rate, which was fifth, but they mark the ball 15.6% of the time, which is first. So you can win it either by getting a free kick, winning it at ground level, yeah. or winning the mark. So, so the again, conversion rate of, of that's Yeah, good. so again, Richmond are the most likely to take a mark in a one-on-one. So again, looking at the other side of offensive uh, of one on one contest is the defensive contest. So that's the the team that's had you know conceded the kick. so basically if the other team's kicking it, you're the defender. So again, we use a different figure to measure that and that's you don't want to lose that one. So the offensive guy wants to win it, the defensive guy he just doesn't want to lose it. Mm-hmm. So, sort of looking at teams again, Geelong only lose 21% of their defensive one on ones. That's the best record of any side. Mm-hmm. And Melbourne are at the other end of the table. They lose 35% of their one on ones. It's a huge difference. So, again, uh, just yeah, oh, different players. Representative ends of, the ladder. of the ladder, really, that's the ladder, isn't it? Much, yeah.
0: Hey, before we do move on, there's one stat that's really jumping out at me. The all time record for hardball gets is one Chris Judd with 18. Round 6, 2011. Was that the game in the wet against the Swans at the SCG by any chance?
1: Um, I thought it was actually I hadn't checked. I off the top of my head, I thought there was a uh, massive game he had against Richmond as well. Maybe it is. Um, but no, I, actually, just
0: give me some good memories from back in the day. Yeah, <laughs>
1: no, well, I can actually. Yeah, we can um chase that up and tweet it out if you want. But yeah, I, I saw the figure and I just went, oh yeah, he had a big game against Richmond and just yeah, didn't even bother to look. But that was trying to do it off memory.
0: That is fascinating. I think um I have a. A clearer understanding of what actually constitutes contested, whether it be marked possession, mm. I mean, hard ball gets, <clears throat> grand ball gets, all that sort of stuff. So, geez, you've uh, you've opened up my eyes
2: for sure. I think quite a few times this year, Christian has brought shown his worth, brought something to the table. <laughs> we'll have him back. <laughs> that, that that has explained. You think that there's a simple stat, but it can be broken down. It can be peeled back yeah. like an onion, and there's six or seven layers of that one stat that we think. Oh, it's contested possession is two guys in a pack trying to you know win yeah. a clearance, but 100 Yeah. I've had a gutful. Jake, I'm going to throw this over to you because
0: you've got a good one this week, a good rant this week, in that if you were a supporter of one club in particular, you would have had a gutful.
3: Well, if you look at Gold Coast's year, it's been a horror show, really. I mean, after the first four weeks, they were 3-1, and one, but then from there, it's been downhill. 16 straight losses, and if you look at their last six... Um, games. They've obviously lost them all, but their margins are 92, 95, 24, 10, 69, and then 91 again. So it, not only are they losing, they're getting hammered most weeks. I mean, it's, it's a real dire situation. Now, given that it is so bad, they're probably going to get a priority pick, I would have thought. But what is getting me frustrated is the fact that there's going to be so much lobbying for a priority pick, which they do need, but it's like, well, hang on a minute. There was a guy that was on your list last year that you dropped a couple of times that you delisted that's gone somewhere else and has become an absolute star and that's Jared Lyons now he's not he's not the best player in the competition but I tell you what he is having a terrific season for the lions who could end up the home and finish the home and away season on the top of the ladder why they let him go for nothing is mind-boggling because the the thing is if there was some issue with him that we don't know about in terms of him being you know some sort of Having some sort of issue that they, that they couldn't deal with at the club he was a cancer at the club or whatever if you like then why not try and palm him off somewhere else and get something for him the fact that they delisted him and got nothing for him just almost shows like they had that he was had no value there he, it's just staggering I think it's the most
2: baffling move of the off season the fact that they had a pretty pretty good player and they let him go let him walk for nothing and this is a club that basically has Limited good players Let me read some stats From his game um, Against his old club So Against the Suns On the weekend Just gone 34, ta- uh, 34 disposals 11 contested 7 clearances 7 tackles 2 goals 686 metres gained That's a, that's a complete Midfield performance That's votes worthy that, in, the, uh, in the Brownlow middle Absolutely that the fact that they had him on their list, and it's sure that they, maybe, as you said, Jake, if they didn't want him to stay there, they could have probably got a pretty decent pick for him. He would have had currency, because his currency. year at Gold Coast last year was actually on par
0: statistically with what he's producing at the Lions this year. A bizarre, bizarre trade
3: move, delisting move. If he had this exact year at Gold Coast, he would be, win- he would be leading and probably win their best and fairest.
2: Yeah. That that and, and I, I think that should almost count against their, their claim for a priority pick well, exactly. if they're making these horrible list management decisions. Why do they yeah. get rewarded He's then for being a bit mediocre? You want a you wanna
3: you want a star player, you want a priority pick that's gonna turn into a really good player. You, you just had, had one and you got rid of him for nothing. Yep. Well that's your fault. Shocker. Bizarre. And the three
0: votes goes to uh, the three votes this week is going to go to a bloke who made his return to St Kilda's side on the weekend. Uh, Jack Stephen came back from a little break uh, to work on his mental health uh, and had a pretty decent game. But his comments uh, after the game really caught my ear. I was blown early, blown all game really, so still a bit unfit and a bit fat, right. He said he's still a bit unfit and a bit fat. But his stat line from the weekend is pretty good. 22 disposals, 7 marks, 3 of which were inside 50, and 3 goals, playing uh, somewhat off the half-forward flank. I've got to say, he is such a superstar for St Kilda, and the fact that he can come back uh, in self-admittedly not great shape and still have a game like that, good on him. I mean, it's good that he's obviously gone away and worked on the mental side of his game, uh, and for him to produce that and and, uh, be a, a... a big part of St Kilda's win. He kicked uh, the goal to get him within two or three points uh, before Bruce kicked the winner. He was magnificent on the weekend and it's good to see uh, Jack Stephen back playing for the Saints.
3: I think we forget how good some players are and he's another one. And, you know, He doesn't play for a few months and all of a sudden you just forget he even exists. Out of sight, out of mind. And then it's just like he comes back. He's a back star. Four best and four, four, four club BFs. best. Yeah, yeah, I mean, how many players do that? It's it's He's a seriously good player. And, and look, I know there's talk that he could be going to the Cats, but... Tell you what?
0: Mm. And we wish him well on the rest of his AFL journey. Obviously, um mental health's a big thing, so we uh, we, we wish him well. And I also love love the comments. I love oh. I love the fact that he's pretty honest. He said, "Look, I'm I'm not in the best the shape." He's not possible. not looking too good, <laughs> but uh hey, I managed. Yeah, good on him. <laughs> it was. Hey, uh we are here for footy where you can tip against family and friends. We are coming towards the close of the season. Neil, anything to note or anything noteworthy coming out of Footy Tips Land this week?
2: Yes, well, last round we only had um, two perfect rounds. Um, it was obviously a fair few upsets. We had two perfect rounds across the 700,000 or so tippers. But this, this round coming up, I, we we're talking pre-podcast. I can't remember many rounds where you look at pretty much every game and it looks like a toss of the coin. There's, there's one blowout game, Hawthorne um, Gold Coast, which I think everyone would assume would be a pretty comfortable Hawthorne victory. But the, the eight other games look like they could be a, a coin toss. Um, you got Melbourne, the Swans, Carlton, St. Kilda, Brisbane Lions, Geelong, and obviously the, the other big one is um, Richmond West Coast at the MCG. Mm. Um, and I think it's going to be one of these one of these rounds where if you can pick seven or eight, you could jump, you could really jump up um, the ladder um, in your tipping competition. Um, just on that, um, we 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 um, dug through the numbers in terms of if you're a few tips um, behind the leader, you know, should you have motivation that you could catch up and um, we've uh, run the numbers. And if you're within um, the amount of people that are equal or within five tips of the leader, at uh, 23% of the database. So there's a lot of people. <laughs> it's close. That, and this round especially. So keep tipping. Um, maybe if you, try and tip an upset. Maybe try and tip an upset. There's well, plenty this week. There's yeah. plenty this week. So um, without any further ado, nice segue. Yes. <laughs> um, there's a lot of options for a potential upset. Uh, and the one that's caught my eye... and. I'm, I'm going to discount Gold Coast Hawthorne. I'm not going to touch that in this segment. <laughs> um, my upset, I think, the, the Dogs against Adelaide. The Crows, uh, sorry, the Dogs against um, GWS. Even though the Giants are at home, the Dogs are playing really great football. The Giants, as we discussed it, are pretty wobbly, So, and there are no certainties at home. So I reckon the Dogs can, can keep their finals hopes alive.
0: Good shout. Uh, my upset, I think... It's going to be West Coast against uh, the Tigers. The West Coast Eagles, that is. I almost did a UFO par, Jake. Um, I think that they, uh, they have the second best record at the MCG in recent times. Second only to Richmond, of course. So it will take something big to uh, dethrone the champs, so to speak. But um, they're, they're outsiders by a fair way. And I think uh, the Eagles are priming themselves for a finals assault.
1: I think we should go back and listen to the other podcasts. I think I always follow you and I always pick the same, <laughs> same as you. But it's, it's, not, it's not me it's just trying to cheat. But no, I had uh, yeah, I had West Coast as my upset as well. Um it is. I think it's, it's... Brisbane's got to make got to make a case for Brisbane as well, but West Coast Richmond are probably the most two informed sides in the competition at the moment. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great game. And already. as we've spoken about, a, a
2: contrast of you know, possibly the two best teams in it, and they're so different in the way they play. So. Yeah, correct. Fascinating.
3: Well, again, I'm copying as well West Coast. I mean, <laughs> it's crazy to me. Again, if you take out the Gold Coast game, West Coast, who might just be the most-informed side in the comp, they're the biggest outsider of the round in terms of the betting. That is <laughs> unbelievable. Neck neck. Yep. Yeah, that's bizarre, isn't it? So, yeah, I mean, I think it's the obvious. If you're looking for an outsider, West Coast, they've shown that they can win in Melbourne, haven't really lost in two years. So
0: Have you got a certainty
3: for us? Uh, yeah, certainty. I'm going to go Port. I think I'm starting to trust Port a little bit more and, and North not completely sold on. I think North, I mean, they, they can't make it now. Port's still got a lot to play for. Um, they played really well the last time they were in Melbourne and I expect them to do the same. Oh, uh, my certainty is Melbourne don't... on Friday okay, night, no.
1: which is a bit of a different one. But I'm going the other way. I've looked at Sydney um, and their form the last four or five weeks. Again, it seems to be they're they're playing the youngest team of uh, any side the last three or four weeks. So getting a few youngsters in the team. But yeah, I think
2: Melbourne will get the job done over them. I I hope you're correct, Christian. But I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm following Jake with this one. I think I obviously discounting <laughs> a potential upset of of Gold Coast over Hawthorn. Um, yeah, Port Adelaide versus North. North don't have anything to play for. Um, Port Adelaide obviously do and I think that motivational factor plays a big difference in how a team can perform. I'm going to cheat and say that uh,
0: Hawthorne's the biggest certainty of the week because they are (laughs) That's probably fair enough Uh, and with that we probably uh, should move on but make sure you do uh, subscribe, there are still episodes coming for the rest of the year so subscribe, it's not too late, Uh, rate five stars and we'll speak to you in the next one.
1: Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast